0: Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garoshenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and in season two discuss the future of marketing. Today I have Andrew Abersol, the CEO of Meteora, a digital marketing agency that specializes in lead generation, website creation, and online advertising. Welcome, Andrew.
1: Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. Did I did I get your last name right on that one? Absolutely. You got it perfect. Like- I was like reading. I was like, Oh my God, I I, I didn't say it before for the first time. So uh, I apologize though. So I want to go back to your early days and talk about college for a second uh, because we both share share a similar trait. Uh, And I didn't prep you for this one before. I probably should have, but that's ADHD. Um, So if you don't want to talk about this, we don't have to, but um, a lot of people with ADHD have trouble with authority a lot of times. So can you tell us a little bit more about your record label and what happened with one of those college professors? (laughs)
1: Yeah. And actually, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, I think they were still calling it ADD. Um, And so it's been hard for me to adapt over the years to not say ADD, uh, oddly as that is. But I was running a a record label um, as soon as I graduated high school, going into college, and that was a small business. And I was making money from it. it. I had professional distribution. Uh, by no means was it a huge success, but it was something to be proud of as you know, an 18-year-old kid um, trying to make it in this world. And I was attending classes at the uh, university um, near me, uh, Indiana University Southeast. And while I was in the business program, I had a professor um, who I think initially started out just kind of mocking me and, and in a playful way, but it it turned into something that was really, um, I think offensive. And it set me back quite a bit because, uh, he took the fact that I thought I knew something about business and really was throwing it back in my face at any chance he could. And one particular instance was an exam where you had to do some calculations. And I didn't even know I had ADD at this point. I didn't find that out until about four years later. And when he uh, saw my test, I'd made some mistakes. And it was one of those where if you make one um, mistake in the calculation, the entire thing is wrong. And so you have to show your work and you can clearly see where that was. So instead of you know, acknowledging that and maybe having a conversation or maybe saying, hey, you're making these mistakes, this could be something like ADD or whatever, uh, he held that exam up in the classroom. Uh, when I showed up for class, you know, the next time and was like, Oh, look at this, you know, Mr. Business guy thinks he knows everything completely failed way to go, buddy, you know, something like that. And I remember taking that exam and I just kind of left. And at that point, I dropped out of school uh, for a year to kind of reevaluate what I was going to do. um, Because my plans were to go through the business school and uh, do my MBA. But I found out that this guy was actually uh, eventually going to be the head of the MBA program. And that changed everything but you know it's funny how just a couple of things different uh, that he could have done could have really changed my trajectory because um, I ended up spending eight years, seven or eight years in school a lot of that was part-time because I was working um, when I probably could have been done in four like you know most other people that go to a, a university and maybe even continued with that MBA program. so it, it's just tough when when the the institutions like that let you down um, you know, as a young adult, is really disappointing.
0: And I just want to, if, if you're okay with it, stay on this topic for a little, because I think a lot of people with ADD and ADHD end up exploring entrepreneurship or want to get into entrepreneurship and maybe they run into someone like you and they don't end up. And I honestly don't know what my answer to this question would be. So I, I don't know if you do, but like, why do you think that's the case? Why do you think people that have, you know, attention de- deficit disorders end up being in entrepreneurship? <laughs>
1: Um, I I think for me, it always felt like the ideas were just kind of bouncing around uh, a lot more and the inability to focus on what was laid out in front of me, um, kind of made it feel like I was just being a little bit more creative and, and, you know, and filling in those gaps with my own information, which just led me down different paths. So if you're able to really focus on something, maybe you're reading like a novel and you just get fully You know engrossed in that novel and you're in that world and you're just following it from start to finish and if you can't focus on that the novel as you're reading it is obviously influencing your brain and now you're bouncing to a different idea but you're borrowing from the content that you're reading and you're just kind of coming up with your own thing and i think that's what happens for people that experience adhd is that they're absorbing all that other stuff but just fragments and then they're filling in the blanks with their own information from other sources
0: you gave me goosebumps. I I think that's uh, that's the how I feel about things. That's exactly <laughs> where I think I, I land. I don't think I could have put that in words as nicely. But
2: you're turning uh, into a um, ADA um, attention deficit advantage.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I intentionally um, rejected at the time and I, I still don't medically treat it, but they wanted to put me on different uh, medication for it. And I always felt like while that would probably help me in a lot of ways, I was worried it would hurt me and others. I don't have any proof to say that's true or not, but that is something that's crossed my mind. I did the same
0: exact thing. I went to a psychologist, a psychiatrist one time I got uh, uh, they said that I had it and then I chose not to take any medicine for it. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't know what that path was, but I didn't really want it. And I liked how my brain thought. I didn't want to change how my brain was thinking. So um, very, very similar. Um, and in true ADHD fashion, uh, I'd like to totally change the subject and talk about KFC. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the story about how KFC impacted your work and, and then eventually a patent?
1: Yeah. So um, I worked uh, at the early days before I even started Meteora with another local advertising agency called Creative Alliance. They've been rebranded. The um, founder has since passed away. Uh, amazing people and gave me some great opportunities. And one of their biggest clients that kind of got them started and was um, their anchor in the community was, KFC and Yum! Brands. And so early on, uh, I was able to work on this much larger client, even though I was an individual and then as a smaller agency starting up. Um, When I started my agency, I was basically doing all of the digital work for this larger agency that wasn't uh, comfortable or familiar with a lot of the digital stuff that was evolving. So um, myself and them, we all got burned during the dot-com First, um, in 2000, and so instead of them staffing up again, they said, "Hey, let's just have Andrew grow his company, and if this happens again, you know, the burden's on him." But at the same time, so is the opportunity, and so um, it started where uh, where we were doing a digital menu board. Sorry, a traditional menu board update for KFC restaurants. Um, think about their drive-throughs and stuff like that. They have all these screens. But not every drive through is the same. And so they needed some way to rapidly create a system that would catalog all of this so that if they were going to print new menu boards, they got the right configuration for the right stores. And they had over 5,000 restaurants. So I built a, a website that would help with this upgrade. And they came back to me a year later because it was so successful, successful. And they said, hey we have um, this digital menu board initiative and we need somebody to help create stuff for that. And I started using the other system that they were basically beta testing. And it was, to me, it felt like if you were gonna use MS-DOS to do updates on systems, like you had to plug in a laptop, you had to go to the location, you had to know the the file library that you were managing on your own. And when you think about this, with all those different configurations and 5,000 restaurants, There's no way you can manage that at an enterprise level, um, with any kind of efficiency. So I kind of took some software I'd already built that had drag and drop functionality at the time and, um, said, okay, well, what if we created a slick front end that had, um, you know, user level management, so franchisees and corporate could have the appropriate access levels to the appropriate screens. We build kind of a drag and drop calendar system, similar to what you would see on any, you know, Outlook or Gmail uh, setup and create a library of assets, stuff that needs to be locked down, you lock it down stuff that needs to be customizable or flexible. You allow those to be customized, create hooks to integrate it with the POS system. And now you have like a a drag and drop, very beautiful, easy to use system that you can do from, you know, the comfort of your home or your office without having to bring a laptop into the restaurant and change this stuff. And it was the first system of its kind that did that. And we realized how novel it was because not only could you drag and drop the configuration for your restaurant, but we built the entire admin setup so that it could be customizable as well with a drag and drop. You didn't have to know any programming to map this out. So in theory, it could work for any, you know, business in the world. And so I actually filed for a patent. It was approved. Um, I've had it for several years. And for, I think it was about five years, um, we powered 100% of the KFC restaurants that had digital signage. And so those were thousands of screens in the in the wild that we supported. We created all the content that went on them. Um, we managed it. We made sure it had 100% uptime, which it did, which I think was pretty important impressive at the time. And, um, you know, it's just something to be really proud of. It actually spilled over and we had um, multi-brand stores that we were representing, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, for example. The goal was to just take this thing huge and really make something out of it. And I will say that for all that exciting, fun stuff, <laughs> there's one big lesson to be learned there. Um, I had never successfully, in my opinion, created a product and then gone to market with that product, like the SAS model. This was our first foray into really trying to do it. Uh, we had an opportunity to get out um, early for a few million dollars. And I, totally should have taken it. Uh, I sat on it because when you ran the calculations for annual revenue, if they fully launched this program to go live, which is what they kept saying they were going to do, it would have been about 25 million a year. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody wants to give you five to 10, kind of in a conversation, hey, I'd like to buy this from you. You're like, why would I do that when my annual can be 25? You take that by your multiple, there's no reason why I'd sell it for that amount. Well, KFC didn't go live. with 100% of their locations they instead invested in the grilled chicken and in order to do that they had to buy the grills for all those KFC restaurants uh, and that kind of depleted their budget for menu boards um and when we tried to shop it to you know the McDonald's or Burger Kings of the world KFC was such a unique bird, no pun intended, that their franchisee agreement allowed them to really customize almost everything on this menu board. But a McDonald's or a Burger King, even though they say have it your way, right? Their their kind of agreements are a lot tighter, so you don't have that customization, which means that the advantage of our software um, was not important to them because they didn't need it. And so they just kind of went with whatever else they had. Um, so it was a fun ride and it was early in our company's history. I think this was 2007 era. Um, and you know, the lesson learned, like I said, is if you have an opportunity to, to sell something like that, don't, don't hold on to it thinking that, you know, you can get a better deal because it's actually a lot harder to get that initial offer than, than most people think.
2: I guess, especially if you are not the one that's really holding the keys to the path.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were probably depending on how you looked at that relationship a couple steps, maybe two or three or even four steps removed because you had the KFC client itself, you had the agency partner that was kind of bringing us to the table and they knew us, they knew our company, we were direct but we were indirect in that context and then you had another vendor that was providing the hardware um, mm. the underlying software that, that I mentioned earlier was like the MS-DOS. So you have all these other players and they're all trying to, you know, make it in some capacity. So my opportunity to control that was really limited.
0: Is the, is the patent still active and and like, is anyone infringing on it? Have you experienced <laughs> it, what's like current status? It is active.
1: Um, I need to check to see how many years left. Cause I think they're like a uh, 10 years or something ten like years that. Or
0: something, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't remember the but the thing was is it was um uh it was kind of uh, provisional pending For several years, we had to go through, I want to say, five rounds, which was a lot. Um, They kept having citations of prior art and trying to say, well, is it like this or is it like that? And uh, we eventually did get it pushed through. It cost me, I want to say, $25,000 just for any of those listening to like, you know, how much does a patent cost? If I didn't have to go through that many rounds, it probably would have been a lot less. That's not bad. Yeah. (laughs) So, and, but keep in mind, this was also two thousand seven to 2010 or something like that so we spent a few years trying to get it um, issued and uh, then when it finally was i think the clock starts from that point Um, we did put one company on notice for infringing um, uh, in the early days which was actually the other partner that was involved Uh, they reverse engineered the software and we had kind of proof that they had those conversations Um, that company sold their entire company they were publicly traded and they didn't disclose any of the um, infringement stuff when they were doing this they sold it to another company for i want to say you know 10 million dollars let's say that's i think that was around the price uh oddly enough the company they sold it to is in my backyard not literally but here in town. Mm-hmm. And during COVID we found that out and we sent them some you know notices saying hey guys you you know you might be infringing and you might not even know it because you acquired a company that was infringing on our patent and they did what most companies will do and they're like no we're not no, we're not no we're not and this was um you know 2000 or 2020 and my appetite for uh legal fees was pretty low at the time um and you know i think it's not a. It's not a. No, I'm never going to look at it and call somebody out because I think every company at this point in time is infringing, but the patent is only as good as your ability to defend it, and okay. those lawsuits are not cheap. Um, I think everybody knows that, and they look at a company like us and they say, "Is this guy really going to take this thing all the way to court? What are you know risks, etc.?" Um, and I'm not confident that the patent itself is solid enough. Um, to defend, because if we had to go through five rounds and there was a lot of, you know, whatever, part of me thinks that my attorney, who's a great guy, um, did whatever he could to kind of let's get this thing done so Andrew doesn't like freak out. But if it came to court, could they not pick it apart? Interesting. And I would say that there's probably a chance that they could. And so we've just not really um, pursued it. And I had to make the, the tough decision about two years ago to say, am I going to focus on this um, experience of the past that could have a payout of maybe a substantial amount of money, but, you know, all of that mental energy is going to go into this past thing that I'm no longer really even pursuing. Or do I wanna repurpose that energy and try to grow my company and learn from those experiences and move on? And I chose to move on. Um, but oddly enough, like two weeks ago, uh, a new prospect, prospective client that is sizable um, that I'm hoping to land any day now um, asked me about our digital menu board software and could we use it to to power their facilities? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why, why is this happening right now? I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it, it kind of made me laugh. I was like, are, this is just too much. Wow. That's I, cool. Yeah. yeah was, let's,
0: let's, let's go for it. Let's get a lawyer. Let's uh, get a GoFundMe page going. I'm, I'm ready well, to go to work.
1: I'm not kidding. I, Every event.
0: Event.
2: So, sorry again. Oh, I, was, I feel the same way about patents. I went through the patent process. We ended up dropping ours um, just because the legal fees were getting too crazy. And um, and also thinking about the amount of clauses that we needed to strike out in order to push it through. How enforceable was it going to be? So I just say, you know, push ahead and just got to get your product out early. Yeah,
0: speed, I think, is key. Oops, sorry. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, I agree with Andrea. Push ahead, get your product out early, speed is, speed is key. And then, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to grow to be a huge company where you're going to have the bank account to enforce the patent, then maybe. But, um, you know, thinking about like every dollar as, as a soldier, when, when you're a startup, you know, how many of those do you want to put on the front line for a patent as opposed to growth?
1: Yeah. Cause if that fails, I mean, you've just wasted a substantial amount of time, money, and energy on something that didn't project your business forward, um, at a time when you probably needed to be focusing on pushing it forward. Uh, because every, every moment your competitor is, is moving, you're kind of stuck fighting against something that you've got, which may not be a whole lot. Like the way that patent is worded, technically every, um, drag and drop system on, you know, WordPress, Wix, Every single one of these companies is infringing on my patent oh. for these drag and drop customizable interfaces. Um, and you look at that and you say, Boy, that's a pretty broad patent. How how could you effectively defend that? Because you would almost be stifling creativity <laughs> entirely with one patent. It's like yeah. eh, it's kind of absurd. So, the three of us are going to start a crowdfunding. This is my ADD break going.
0: Crowdfunding <laughs> patent company where you can crowdfund the the cost of a patent. Um, so, speaking of all of that, I want to take a step back now and, and just can you tell us a little bit more about your company?
1: Yeah. So Meteora started out 20 years ago as a software development company that was servicing you know, that large ad agency as our main client and uh, grew into a kind of a full service digital agency because eventually things came online that um they needed help with and they turned to their technology partner so uh search engine optimization was an early one you know how do we rank higher on google with these websites um mobile apps became a thing a few years later when the iphone was released and people started to really adopt that technology um social media was another one that didn't exist when we started that You know, we had a leg up on because I already was used to running communities like that, just on a smaller scale. I'm sure you guys were part of forums and things like that before Facebook. So you kind of had an idea of what was going on. Um, And we just started, you know, adding on the different technologies that seemed like they had a good fit while having a, a very talented agency Um, providing creative direction, um, helping us, you know, we would be a part of brainstorming sessions. So we're bringing the tech, they're bringing the marketing and and advertising. And we learned a lot while doing that. I think both parties learned a lot. You know, we were getting up to speed on the tech. They were getting speed up on the um, traditional marketing advertising. And eventually, um, you know, we don't currently work together on anything. We haven't for several years, but you sure do learn a lot. As a company doing that. And so that allowed us to be more competitive um, when it comes to things like creative and strategy and all of that. So we do focus on all things digital. Um, We are trying to be a little bit um, smarter about what we decide to take on. Uh, so I am in the process of spinning off our custom dev side because that's really important to us. It's been a part of who we are, but we noticed that the processes and the team members and the, the types of clients we're working with on our custom dev work are very different from our advertising marketing uh, related clients. So, um, that was one way for me to try to get a little bit more focused on, on not trying to do too much, um, at once. Cause that's, that's one of the things i think that you know could be a lesson learned for other agencies and startups doing it is try to pick a a specialty or a niche and you know be the best at it um we evolved organically over 20 years and you know picked up whatever was you know changing or going on at that time and now we're kind of looking back at it and saying okay what can we be experts and specialists at And, and that's been interesting that's great i um
2: this topic comes up a lot on the show of, um, the, uh, the full service agency approach, right? So what is really a full service agency? If they say they specialize in so many areas, how do you specialize in any, if, if there's so many, um, so I think that that split is, that sounds like a great move, um, uh, because it allows you to focus the processes and the teams and the culture of one, of, you know, one specialty, one way and the other specialty, another way, the, um, We've had a couple of conversations where if you are going to be essentially full service, then technically maybe your brand and, um, a consultancy, but then you outsource essentially everything else. Um, so that's when, when did you decide, was there a pivotal point that when you decided to make that move that something happened or that, um, you know,
1: how did that come about? So it was kind of a couple of pieces that that fell into place that led me down that path. Um, you know, first of all, for three or four years, it's been something I keep saying, like, I think we do too much. I think we do too much. And every book I would read would kind of reinforce that. And then we would try to really get Um, a better idea of our numbers, you know, where are we making our money? Um, What services are the most profitable, et cetera. And we were struggling with getting the data we needed from QuickBooks, which, you know, we're in that weird spot where we we can still use it, but I feel like we outgrew some of its capabilities. Um, And so we didn't really have good data to support it. And then uh, we also had a situation where a key employee who was helping me lead the custom dev area decided he wanted to maybe move on to something else. Um, he was kind of tired of doing the, the project management on custom dev work. He wanted a different type of a job, which I fully respect. And we parted ways amicably. Um, and I had a hard time filling that position, which meant I had to do it. And so now as the business owner, I'm, I'm falling back into maybe the, the roots where I started this company. So if for the first six months, it was fun, exciting. And then I was like, wait, there's a reason I grew my company. So I wouldn't have to do this type of work every single day. Um, and I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do it, why should I be spending all my time on that? And almost subsidizing portions of my marketing business, um, because we're not really staffed for this, you know, accordingly. Uh, and then the, the kind of the final piece that, that made this clear and obvious was that we embraced the EOS system, the entrepreneurial operating system. And when we started kind of building out our structure and we were looking at our accountability chart, we realized you know, black and white, we are not staffed appropriately for custom dev work and doing the digital stuff. And all the growth that we were mapping out was for the digital agency, not for the custom dev. And I'm like, well, you know, either we need to sunset it or we need to spin it off. And so we just have so much business in that side of it that to turn it off, um, I think would hurt us financially or hurt me at least, but it would also, um, hurt those clients that we've built really intricate custom systems for that. There's not going to be an easy kind of transition for them. And so we're going to, like I said, separate it. So all of those things kind of led us to that, that conclusion of, of how we wanted to split those two things off.
0: And speaking of conclusions and data and structure and additional services, I believe you you decided to acquire an agency last year and I think around October, you mentioned last time. Why did you decide to take that on and, and what's the transition been like?
1: Um, well, we had been working with that agency as kind of a referral partner. Um, they were sending us some work that either they didn't have capacity for or somebody on staff that could do it um, in general. And, um, it had been, I'd say more successful than not. And when the owner came to us, um, he said that, you know, he needed to move on to something else. He had a book of business. We understood his situation because he didn't have long-term clients with, um, you know, the, the type of revenue that, uh, other companies would like to see to make a, an outright purchase. And so we were able to structure a deal that worked well, I think for both parties where, you know, he would earn it out over time and we would uh, have an opportunity to acquire those clients, um, and grow them. And if we didn't succeed at acquiring, you know, the clients upfront, then the amount we pay him over time, just You know, it goes down to a point where it could be nothing if none of them wanted to come over. And so we did a test with one of them. And they were very receptive to it. And not only did they want to come over, but they also added, I think about $9,000 a month recurring on top of the um, original 5,000 a month, uh, for some maintenance work. So they had like a Shopify site. They had about 5,000 in maintenance a month, which was a nice, you know, retainer for just maintaining a Shopify site and 9,000 in marketing on top of it. All of a sudden it was a $14,000 a month client for a small agency. That's pretty good. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, if they're all going to be like this, uh, and he'd had, you know, 20 clients or something, I was like, let's, let's give it a shot. Um, Unfortunately, most of the other clients did not work out quite like that. We had a lot of them that were in that $2,000 a month range. Um, Most of them, while they're all e-commerce, we thought, oh, they're going to want to do marketing because they've been underserviced with marketing stuff. So we can upsell these clients too. Um, I think with the exception of maybe one or two, none of them said they had the appetite for any kind of marketing, which was a little bit frustrating because that was one of the upsides for us to acquire them. and One of the reasons I kind of wanted to do it because I'm like, oh, e-commerce clients. They're going to need marketing, right? Duh. Um, B2C, here we go, right? Didn't kind of pan out like we thought. Um, And we brought over the entire team that he had um, initially. And then I think what we've discovered, and I have to be delicate because I don't want to offend anybody because some of them are still employed with us. Um, I think the owner was doing substantially more than he alluded to. And his team, um, we discovered none of them were full-time employees, they were all contract hourly. I think he just kind of pulled them in a little bit here and there, and bringing them on full-time for us was an expense that he didn't have. And we realized we couldn't lean on them to fully support those clients in all cases because he was doing a lot of that work. So that was something that, that kind of came to light after the fact. Um, I'll say it's been almost a full year since we did it, uh, financially it's been a mixed bag. I would say that, you know, there's obviously an influx of cash when you add on a bunch of recurring um, clients like that, but without the team structure in a really good spot, that was tricky. And, um, uh, the way that he was calculating his, um, uh, monthly billings for these clients, if they went over an hours, he was kind of like the, the old cell phone provider, nickel and dime, you know, it's an extra hundred bucks or whatever, every hour, um, and documented, uh, very carefully. We typically don't go that route. We have fixed things. We try not to go over them, et cetera. And so his projections were about twice what we ended up netting from this because of those mm-hmm. overages. So it's been a lesson learned. Um, I wouldn't say it's good or bad. I'd say it's probably somewhere in between. You know, most mergers and acquisitions fail. Uh, This one's not a failure, but um, it could have gone smoother. So I'm hoping to continue to do this, but learning from um, this one and making the next one go a little bit smoother. Uh, Clients are great. I love working with those clients. Um, it was a little rocky to start with, but I feel like we've, we've managed it well. And we've still got 90% plus of them uh, working with us today. So that's good.
0: Well, you kind of started to allude to it at, at the end there, but you know, is there anything that you know now? And maybe you already answered this, but is there anything you know now about the process that you wish you knew going into it?
1: I think this is going to be crucial for anybody that's acquiring or anybody that's thinking about selling their own agency. You have to be really clear about what that owner's bringing to the table. And so earlier I mentioned the EOS stuff, and it's just one flavor. So pick your flavor of how you want to run your business, right? But um, for me, that is a way for me to get out of the day-to-day so that if I choose to sell my business at some point in time, it's not 100% dependent upon me. And so I think that this owner wasn't quite there yet. Super smart guy, active developer, um, really like to be hands-on. And he was a little bit, I'd say like myself, where he knows how to program, but he was able to, you know, communicate well with his clients. So they really appreciated having that, you know, direct line of contact to the person that's going to be doing the work so that nothing's lost in translation. Um, If you're that kind of an owner and you try to sell, you're going to have a problem like we've been experiencing with this. Or if you acquire a company that's got that kind of an owner, you know, they almost need to come along for the ride um, to make it work because otherwise that, that business is going to struggle to slot in with yours. Um, if you don't have that direct replacement form and that's rare, I mean, how many companies do you see where you can just go hire somebody that can be an account, uh, account service manager and go back and do the, the dev work. It's, it's not very common. Usually the owner's that guy.
0: Yeah, and they, they say that as the sign of a good CEO is actually the ability to totally take that person out and still run the company uh, just as well as it, it would be, which sounds counterintuitive to a CEO, right? Like, you know, it, it sounds backwards to tell a CEO like actually your job is to be able to remove yourself and have the company still run as is um, but at the end of the day I think that's the sign of a, a true company and a, or a good company and a true CEO uh, and everything before I get to some of the last questions uh, that I tend to ask to everyone I, I just want to kind of focus now a question just quickly on the future um, so you know for lack of better question or wherever you want to take this where do you see your agency going in the next five years and, and how do you see the movement of marketing with all the changes lately
1: yeah, um you know our goals are pretty clear when it comes financially. We want to be a 10 million dollar agency in 5 years. Um the way that we're going to achieve that is through embracing our lead generation services. Um our number one skill set or niche is is in healthcare, specifically behavioral healthcare and addiction treatment. And so that's going to be a big part of our growth strategy to fully embrace all of that experience uh, that we have. And, and doing the lead generation for those services. And that's going to include obviously websites, because you got a good web, you've got to have a good website. It's got to rank fast, you know, or rank well. It's got to be fast to do that. Um, so some of those development things are still a part of it. It's just not that that custom stuff. So I think by streamlining kind of what we're doing, focusing on specific industries, you know, education is a big one that we've had experience at. You know, universities need students just as, you know, behavioral health places need patients. Right. And so there's a there's a good fit there. Um, same with our senior living. We've got a lot of senior living homes that um, you know, uh, you can choose where you want to send your, your parent when it comes to that point in a lot of s- situations. So you want to choose the right place. They need lead gen. So it's that kind of stuff that I think if we focus on, we'll be able to hit that goal because it's going to let us streamline our processes too. You know, when you're an agency that's full service, that does everything for everyone, um, your processes, you could document them all day long, but you're gonna have a different one for doing a mobile app or whatever than you are doing a website than you are you know, doing a social media campaign and it just becomes just overwhelming. So that's one way, um, slimming down what we're doing, focusing on the areas that we want. The other part of it is uh, I, just like everyone, I'm a little bit excited and terrified about AI and how it's replacing you know, a lot of things. We've been early adopters to it and making sure that it's allowing us to work smarter, not harder, while still maintaining our, I think, quality and um, following it closely from an ethics standpoint and making sure that we're not just you know, cutting quarters with it, but using it to do more, better, quicker um, and passing that on to the client. So I think that by doing it um, the right way, it's gonna allow us to scale a little bit easier to hit that goal so that not only are we at our, our $10 million uh, mark, but we're also doing it with the net profitability that we want. And that's something that we as a smaller agency have struggled with year after year. You know, We'll have those booms and busts, those cycles where it's like, wow, we really grew. And then you look back at it and you say, yeah, we grew, but to, at what cost, right? We, we weren't as profitable trying to scale grow? Why did that happen? And so I'm hoping that with these tools and some of the new processes and our new approach to this with streamlining, it will help us grow there successfully and stably um, so that it's something we can maintain and we don't hit 10 million and then yo-yo back down to five because we couldn't handle the growth.
0: And I guess before I jump into some of my last questions, you know, you mentioned ethics and doing things the right way, and I know that volunteering means a lot to you, so I just want to at least get this in here a little bit. Uh, you know, you've volunteered for Healing Tree, Kentucky Humane Society, Goodwill of S- uh, Southern Indiana, Family Health Centers of Southern Indiana, uh, and maybe more, but I just want to give you some a few minutes to or a minute or whatever it is uh, to talk about what volunteering means to you.
1: Yeah, it's um, interesting because when you think about traditional volunteering, you think about, you know, going down to the soup kitchen and, and ladling out soup or actually handing out things to people. And, you know, my family did that. That's that's nothing wrong with that by any means. I wish I was that person. Um, I have a an issue with uh, meeting new people sometimes. And I also uh, have a, a, a time constraint. And so what volunteering has meant for me over the past several years is being able to give back to those organizations in the form of free services or substantially discounted services um, so that these nonprofit organizations that are doing great work to help people or animals or whatever the case may be, are able to spend that money on things that um, can make the budget go further, that can make the bigger impact. And so when it comes to things like their websites or some marketing initiatives, we do everything we can to kind of help that because that's something that we're experts at that we can do uh, efficiently and help them save some of that money um, so it can go to other places. So we've taken on several organizations over the years. You know, the the Humane Society, the Kentucky Humane Society is one we've been with. I was trying to calculate it the other day. I want to say 2007. So we've oh. been with them. We've built three or four websites, a couple of them for free, a couple of them on a shoestring budget. Awesome. Um, you know, we provide a lot of stuff for them um, is, is cheap or free when possible. And it's really helped, I think, make a difference for that organization and several of the others. You know, the healing tree is a great one that I was on the board with for six years. I think I just rolled off this January to let some fresh energy come into it. Cause I think that's important, but I've seen that organization organization grow from something that was pretty cool when it started to something substantially bigger. You know, they're doing bigger. They just did a big gala in New York City. So they've grown from a smaller kind of Kentucky-based organization to a national and even international um, footprint. So it's nice to see that happen. And I think it's nice to be able to give back. Um, It's not just about growing our business for the sake of us. You know, when I grow my business, I like to think it's helping not only the the customers because you know, they have to come first. It's got to help them expand their business, but my employees, I feel like they're being enriched um, in their lives in some capacity and the community as well. You know, that's where we live and we want to make it a better place as well. So $10 Ten million dollar agency for me doesn't mean I'm gonna buy more stuff. It means I'm gonna be able to do more for more people um, to improve their lives too. Uh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I think I think honestly, you might impact more people in that way as well. Sorry, Alex, were you gonna say something?
2: No. I just, yeah, applauding the way you think, no,
0: that's yeah, great that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I don't know, I don't know how to say that, uh, but applauding the way you think i, I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and now the questions uh, that I tend to ask at the end uh, that I've been alluding to, um, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be?
1: Well, um, don't box yourself in. Um, and I mean that in the, the name of your business or the, you know, the, the service that you provide, we talked a lot about being kind of a niche, understanding your expertise, don't do everything. But I think if you are a small business, you need to be able to pivot rapidly and, and make those changes. So if you kind of called yourself, I always used to joke, like if I called Meteora Andrew's website design company and. You know, 2003, um, I'd have a harder time pivoting because people would just associate me with with website design, right? Um, and the reason I'm saying that is our industry is just changing quicker right now than it ever has. And so you may start out right now saying, "Hey, we're going to be um, social media gurus, and that's all we're going to do for people," but you may find that with some of these AI tools and just the younger generation being kind of born into social media, that more and more companies are able to do that themselves, and you're opportunity to sell that service to customers is dwindling. This is just a hypothetical. It's not saying that that's what's happening, but it, it kind of is in a lot of ways. Um, and so you might have to pivot and say, well, we're not gonna just do social media. We need to change how we're gonna do that. And so that's what I mean when I say, don't box yourself in. Um, it is important to pick something and really give it a go. But if you do need to pivot, that might be the necessary you know, course as opposed to folding and going under, right? Um, and I would say the other part is don't be afraid to fail, because if you're afraid to fail, you're never going to succeed. And when you do fail, you better learn from those mistakes and do better the next time. And that's just part of growth.
0: That's great. Um, next question is uh, a lot of the reason that we ask this question now is because, you know, we've talked about it on previous uh, episodes, but we're trying to build a community around, you know, the guests that we have and being able to share business. And obviously, you know, we've talked about full service, but, You know, it's hard for anyone to actually be full service. And a lot of times you get clients that, you know, ask something that you're just not either well-versed in or you're not great at, or you just don't have. Um, So the question is, how can you work with other marketing agencies and what services can you partner with other agencies? Yeah. um, Me personally. You personally or the, or the firm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the the thing is, is when you say you're full service, a lot of other companies don't want to work with you because the back of your mind, you're like, they're going to take my client, right? They're going to, they say they do everything. Right, and I think the reality is, is anyone that says they do everything, somebody's out there saying, "But how, do you do everything well?" Right? Is that is that what's going on here? So I think it's important to be able to know where you do things well and find people that complement those skill sets. So, for example, we have um, some amazing you know equipment for video production and photography, and we have some people that are pretty good at it in house, but that's not their full time position. They you know, do design work or they do social media, but they also know how to use a camera, right? So we do some basic stuff in house when it comes to that, because sometimes you're doing a website and they just need a couple headshots or whatever, right? But sometimes you've got a client that needs some really amazing headshots and they're maybe beyond the skill set that we have. And we know where our limits are when it comes to photography and videography. And so we'll pull in agency partners that we've cultivated over the years to do those larger or more elaborate projects successfully. And we're transparent about it with our clients up front and everybody wins. And so that's just one example. But if you have opportunities to partner with other people that complement what you're doing, then by all means do it because it's going to make you better. Uh, I know for a fact that those video partners I bring in are not going to try and turn around and sell my client on a website. So it makes it very easy for me to do. So I think that's something that that people need to think about.
2: Um, we're um cut, cut in here. <laughs> um Again, going back to the way you think, and I think Josh and I both got this feeling on our on our discovery call—the the, the type of person that you are. Most people answer that question with what they can do for others.
0: Literally, what I was going to say. That's literally what I was going to say too. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. It's going.
2: just like a completely selfless answer, and uh, <laughs> that rarely
1: happens. So, thank you. That was great. We can yeah, do this. We can back. do that. We can do this. I, I feel like I've lost more deals when I was younger by trying to be that person. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've probably evolved over the years of, of being more candid of what we can't do. So I mentioned earlier that big opportunity that mentioned the menu board stuff. Again, one of the things they do a lot of is video. And they said, well, what would it look like if we worked with you guys? And I said, well, we, you need the basic stuff. We're going to probably do it directly. But when you need the, the 30 second TV commercial, we're going to bring in a partner, we're going to negotiate that deal. Um, And since our profit isn't necessarily made on doing video work, it's probably going to translate to a savings for you because we want more of that money to go towards your media. Right. And I said, if you want to gauge us on our video skills in house, I mean, I don't know, it's like, we're, we're five or six, right. You know, and, and, That's just not our thing where, where our expertise is, is getting the customers for you, the lead gen. And I can't speak on behalf of the client, but I kind of feel like if somebody's across the table talking to you about this and they're telling you their weaknesses, you've got to almost believe their strengths. If that makes sense, you can't be a 10 at everything, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, you you earn the trust right there, right? Because you're being transparent. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that you picked up on that too. Uh, I was gonna I was literally gonna mention that too. As we I mean, do
2: more of these, we're getting more in sync.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs> and speaking of uh speaking of menu boards, uh, you know, a lot of times they say, and this is going back to how you answered uh, the question, but um a lot of times they say when you see a large menu at a restaurant,
1: that usually means the food isn't good. Um <laughs> not specializing in something. So uh, yeah, where you've got to do like multiple pages. The only exceptions would be like, right. like, um, a Mexican restaurant or like a, like an Asian restaurant, and and maybe they have it in two languages. And then I'm going to give them a pass because <laughs> it's looks pretty good. Um, I'll order right. off the, the Chinese authentic menu every time just to try that. But yeah. yeah.
0: Sometimes diners too, where like you know that French toast, you know, is going to be great.
1: And if you really look at the diner, though, like it's a hundred things. We're all the same dish. It's a little that is,
0: yeah. It's it's some form of pancake, you know, whether it's a waffle or something. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> uh, two more questions. Um, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now?
1: Yeah, we are. We're we're looking for more uh, creative folks to help um, guide the campaigns that we create. Um, so we've got our situation like locked down when it comes to targeting and the placement of ads, we need more people to help with the creation of them and the strategy of that. Mm Um, and i think we're also kind of trying to figure out how to do the dev side of things you know are are we do we need more in-house people do we need outsourced people do we need a mixture of both do we need an agency partner that's going to focus on that um and i don't say this negatively but the dev work is becoming a little bit commoditized in the sense that customers don't even care, they just want it done and they want it to work. So your ability to really profit from that as an agency where you're staffing a bunch of people is challenging. So trying to find a partner that can provide that service consistently is what's gonna be important to our customers. And whether or not I have the smartest you know, girl on the team that thinks she can build it better than anybody else, you know, as long as it meets our criteria, the client probably doesn't care and and that's that's been the challenge that's changed maybe in the past 10 years. So um, mm-hmm. those are some things we're looking at and trying to figure out.
0: I wish
2: I, I do want to go back to the point where um, you talked about the um, who you're looking for to give business to. Um, how would you because as we're building the community, we're talking about building profiles and it's like a 50 50 give and take. Who can you give the business to and who can give business to you as well? Um, So for that portion of it, what's something that's unique about your agency that you think you can help other agencies with in the partnership relationship?
1: Yeah, so the way we started with that partnership with the other agency kind of set us up for this. So if you are a creative agency and you're doing really cool stuff for your client, but you need to get your ads in front of the right people, and do all of the complicated um, tracking to use the programmatic advertising to tap into the algorithms to, you know, maybe build out more complicated funnels that have some automation attached to them. Um, that's an area where we can really help. And we do that for other agencies today. So whether it's a white label type of a thing, a silent partner, or like, you know, just bring us to the table with your customer. um, We work really well with those um, types of people because we're trying to staff in that area, which means we don't have as much of it. Um, And I think that when you pair really cool concepts and beautiful creative, whether it's, you know, images or video or animations or whatever, with the way that we can kind of get in and target your customers and and drive that business. It's typically a winning formula. And so I say that's one obvious that that works well for us. Awesome.
0: And then uh, last question, and and arguably my favorite, uh, any book, podcast or newsletter recommendations?
1: Um boy, my my uh podcast recommendation is this one. Um <laughs> I I do listen to a bazillion books on Audible, and I think the one I'm I've got in the car right now that I'm really enjoying personally is um this I think it's six habits of growth. Um it's it's just kind of well spoken, off the cuff. It doesn't feel like somebody's reading a book to you because I think he actually just gave his like TED Talk style. A presentation. Um, but I think every business owner could benefit from something like that because it, it helps you work on this work-life balance improve yourself, which helps you show up at work with more energy and purpose. So um, I'm really enjoying that one. And uh, I think it's worth a listen or a read if he has a, a book out of it. Awesome. Love it. Um, and as we come up to the
0: end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with.
1: Well, you can find us at meteor.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Andrew Abersold, um, A-E-B-E-R-S-O-L-D. And, you know, those are probably the two easiest. I'm very active on Facebook, but it's uh, in my posts are public, but it's a little bit more personal. It's not always business. Um, And Instagram uh, a lot. Uh, My wife teases me because I'm not as active on TikTok as I should be. Um, And I will say that the, the, quirky little fun thing here that you can find me is I actually do still make music. So I've got a new single coming out, um, this week. Uh, my band name is Radiation, Radianation R A D I A N A T I O N. Uh, and I have released, um, well, I've, I've produced over 25 albums over the years, but in the past two years I've released, um, probably like 20 songs. Um, And some of them are doing relatively well and it's been fun. So if you like to try different music, give it a listen.
0: I'm so glad you got that in there. I had that in my notes and I didn't know how to get it in. I didn't like you know, I the ADD <laughs> joke, so I couldn't like do another ADD joke. And just uh, So I'm I'm glad you got that in there. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who have learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Andrew, this was one of the easiest ones in, in a great way. Uh, easiest podcast, excuse me. Uh, so thank you for coming on the show, man.
1: I appreciate you having me. This has been fun. I, I really would love to do it again. So cool. Also, yeah, we're
2: going to potentially do it as a, uh, we're going to hold round within
1: the community. So yeah. that's a cool opportunity to do it again. Mm-hmm. You'll just have to get me to talk less because I'm very uh, talky, talky, talkative.
0: That's <laughs> okay. what you're supposed to do with these things. So <laughs> I, I appreciate it. It makes my job easier. So. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients. devnoodle.com.